real quick, if you are thankful for the V Kids ministry, come on, let me hear you real quick. Uh, every parent who gets to sit in service and enjoy service for hour and 15, whatever it is, uh, without your children tugging on your arms, uh, you are very appreciative of this ministry. And in this series, along with preaching on leadership and looking to the Bible to learn how to lead like Christ, one of the things that I'm really wanting to do is to encourage everybody in the room to take the next step, uh, to kind of figure out where you are. And so there's a handout. If you got it last week, you can get it at the Welcome Center. One side has kind of an annual report. Since we moved into uh, this building, you can kind of see some of the impact we've had, where some of the finances have gone, some of the impact as far as baptism and attendance and different things. But on the other side is a graphic like this where we're asking everybody to kind of identify where are you. Maybe you're just now coming to church and you need to give your life to Christ, you need to get baptized in water. Maybe you've done those things and you're looking to start serving, you're looking for discipleship, whatever that might be. But I'm asking everybody to kind of figure out where you are on the steps and challenge yourself to move one step forward. And so one of the ways you can do that is through serving in the ministries that we offer here at Victory Church. And last week we highlighted our production ministry, and today I wanted to take a moment and highlight our V Kids ministry. Not only is it providing you the opportunity to come to church uh, kidless and enjoy the service, but your kids are learning biblical principles. It's important. Um, I understand that, that it is our job in our home to do that, but it's very helpful to have a system like V-Kids, a ministry like V-Kids, where you know while you're in here being encouraged in the Word, they're being encouraged in the Word. And there's so many cool things from the V-Bucks store where your kids can bring Bible, or bring their Bible and uh, participate and get money, spend it. But it's also just an opportunity, as Darla said in the video, to make a difference. Uh, I was hanging out with some people last night from the church, and a few of them serve on the V-Kids team. And one of the guys looked at me and he said, this is the dream team. And that's what he was talking about, is it's the opportunity to really make a difference. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in here and you go, you know what, I want to take that next step. I want to start serving. And V-Kids is it. Uh, I have kind of a youthful spirit. And even if you don't, right, maybe you're like, I don't know what I can do. Well, you can hold a baby. You can rock a baby. Uh, you can impact kids lives. And so I encourage you to make that move. One of the ways you can do that after service, we will have growth track available right after service. It's about 40, 45 minutes long. You'll be able to learn about the church, the vision of the church, the culture, as much as your, your gifting and where you can get connected. And so we encourage you to do that. If you can swing by that, you'll see people with signs. They'll point you how to get there. And like I said, you can complete growth track and start looking at a way to get involved. Amen. As Zoe said, talking about the 5K race, there are so many things that we're able to do as a church because of the faithfulness of our givers. And so first of all, I want to say thank you to every person that supports Victory Church, those that tithe and give their offering to Victory. And I always like to share a little bit about what we're doing. And, and what I want to talk about is our partnership with the Y. Um, I'm good friends with the executive director of the Y, and, and we have a lot of vision together. And as, as Zoe's talking about this race that this is, that's this Saturday, it's a great opportunity to be able to be a part of something that's going to bring awareness to something that's bigger than ourselves. And so I want to challenge you. You say, hey, I'm not a runner. It's not about running. Um, it's not even about that, the concept of a 5K or a 10K. It's about being there and bringing awareness to what we're talking about. Also, coming up in December, 
You'll hear me talk more about it, but we'll team up with the Y again this year and do our giving tree where we, we put together Christmas presents, we wrapped Christmas presents, uh, just an incredible time to serve together. And so again, because of your faithfulness, we're able to support the Y, we're able to support uh, after breast cancer, the ABC ministry, we're able to support the, the awareness of domestic abuse as well as being able to provide Christmas presents for families who are in need. And so I'm just so thankful, so thankful for what you're doing. So if, uh, keep giving, keep believing, keep supporting. If you're saying, hey, I've been a part of Victory and I want to know how to give, you can do that, as the video said, through our website, through texting to give, or you can do it just as you're walking out the door. Last but not least, before we get into the Word, this is that time where we're, everybody's starting to get back into routine. And I challenged you last week, and I want to challenge you again this week, to be inviting people to come to Victory Church with you. I want you, this is just that season, right? Everybody, we've gotten through summer, we've gotten through Labor Day weekend, people are starting to get back into their school routine. It's a great opportunity for you to say, hey, why don't you come with me to Victory Church? Let me ask you this real quick. Do you love your church? All right, yeah, if you love your church, you start. I was talking to a friend. They said, when you love a restaurant, you just naturally tell people about the restaurant. And so let's do that this week. Let's pick somebody and let's share about our church and invite them to be here with us next week for this series. Amen? You ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5. We were in John chapter 4 last week. We're in a series called Living Room Leaders where we're talking about the aspect of we're having to all lead in our culture today. Everybody in this room right now is a leader. You're either leading your family, you're leading at your job, you might be leading in your school, you're leading in your friend group or your community. Everybody's a leader. And I think it's important for us in this season to really lean into scripture and find out how to lead like Jesus. And it's not just, if you're in here today and maybe you're not a believer, you're new to this whole concept of Christianity, don't, don't begin to zone out. Because not only are we going to see attributes on how to lead like Christ, we're going to see attributes on how to live like Christ and how to give our life to Jesus in these concepts. So John chapter 5, you can do it in your paper Bible. You can follow along the screen or on your phone, however you might want to do. I'm going to read it, and then we will get into it. So John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. So there was this massive pool that they called Bethesda, and it is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So imagine five covered porches surrounding this pool. And in this area was a great number of disabled people, and it was where they would lie. So the Bible goes on to say you had the blind, you had the lame, and you even had the paralyzed who were all laying in these colonnades, all in these porches surrounding this pool. One was there, one particular guy was there, who had been an, uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, invalid for 38 years, which means he was lame, all right? So to be an invalid means lame, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. So Jesus now knows that he's been in it for a long time, and Jesus asked him, watch this, do you want to get well? Then the man replies, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. I'll explain that a little bit later. And while I'm trying to get into the pool, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, which would have been what he was laying on. And he began to walk. I want to talk to you today just for a moment from this idea. 
leading in the middle of uncertainty. How we lead in the middle of uncertainty. It's interesting, I, by Wednesday morning or so, I had already written my entire sermon for today, and it was about a, a totally uh, different concept. I, I might end up bringing it back in this series, but Wednesday afternoon, I, I was led to just read John chapter 5 for my own benefit, and as I'm reading it, something just shot out to me from the pages, and all of a sudden, I had this momentum in my heart where I was like, this is what I need to preach. And so starting Wednesday afternoon, I had to kind of rewrite this entire message, and it shifted my entire week, and I had to cancel meetings and different things because I just said, listen, there's just something about this that I feel like I'm supposed to talk about today. And let me tell you what I saw. Jesus walks into this area where there is this pool, and superstition would say, I'm going to go into more detail later, but superstition would say that at different times an angel will come down and stir the pool, and if the first person to get into the pool while the water is being stirred is healed. That was kind of the rumor that was going on about this area. So around the pool you had these porches, and that's why the Bible tells you that under these porches, the lame, the blind, the paralyzed were all laying, and they were waiting for this to happen. They were all hopeful that at some point they were going to witness this angel come down, stir this pool, and they were going to be able to get into it first. There's going to be this massive rat race, and whoever got in the pool first would be healed. That was the understanding. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's in the middle of all these people. And as I'm reading this and I'm picturing this, here's what I thought. Jesus is about to lead. He's about to show us how to lead, and he is right in the middle of uncertainty. You've got a group of people who are hoping to be healed, but they're not certain that they will be. You've got a group of people who are struggling with their current situation, and they are hopeful that it's going to change, but there is no confidence that it will. And so you're just in a room, or, or not in a room, but you're in porches of complete uncertainty. I'm reading it more, and I'm thinking, you know what? There's the blind. There's the lame. There's the deaf, there's the paralyzed. And I started thinking about this. Everybody is uncertain, but they're all uncertain about different things. And it made me think about this room and how here we are, 2022, getting ready to very soon be in 2023. And if we're not careful, we, we would all find ourselves in a position where we're trying to lead while uncertain. But because we're such a diverse group of people, we don't all share the same uncertainty. We're all uncertain, but we're uncertain about different things. For example, some of us are uncertain because we're trying to raise teenagers, right? And this is that first time. Some of us are uncertain because we're pregnant and we're about to have a baby and we've never really raised a child before, right? We might have had siblings or cousins, but we've never actually had to raise a child. Some of us are uncertain because we're trying to have a child, but it's not going the way that it should go. Some of us are uncertain because we applied for a job and we're waiting to see. Some of us are uncertain because we have a job and we don't want that job. Some of us are uncertain because we've been asked to do a new job and we're not sure we're qualified. Some of us are uncertain because we're married, but we're not sure how to have a healthy marriage. Some of us are uncertain because we think we're going to soon be married, but we're not sure of that. Some of us are uncertain because we're single and we think we don't know what that's going to look like moving forward. And you see what I mean? There's all this uncertainty. Some of us are in high school. Some of us are in middle school. Some of us have, no, no matter what's going on, there's this level of uncertainty. And we're trying to learn how to lead in the middle of uncertainty. 
Let me put it like this. Every day, you and I are expected to make decisions regarding our businesses, regarding our children, regarding our family, our marriage, our finances, our church, our dreams. Fill in the blank. Every day, we're being challenged to make decisions. And we are expected to make decisions, watch this, even though we don't always have the answers. Let me talk for a second to all my parents. Do you ever get a day off from making decisions? No. Do you ever feel like you are prepared to make the decision? No, thank you. (laughs) Like there's just seasons. Look, as a leader, we never get to to be excused from making the decision. But we don't always have the answer. I remember when Darla first told us that, or told me that we were pregnant, that she was pregnant. Sorry, I understand we have a very small part. Okay, I understand. Um, <laughs> but the first time she ever told me that, that she was pregnant, I immediately went into the, I, I had never even, like, if I had ever held a child before, it was like I was holding some type of toxic waste. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, gosh. And so there was all this uncertainty. But I don't have time to be like, hey, God, can I get about a two-year, you know, concept of training first? Like, I don't have all the answers. Can, can I, can I, I'll, give you the, I'll give you a pre-sermon. You ready? You're never going to have all the answers. There's something in us that wants to be able to know what to do and how to do it. But part of this whole God-following thing is to follow him when you don't know the answers. And that's what I want to talk about because Jesus shows us some things that are so powerful, things that you should be taking notes on, things you should be you know, scribing into your heart. When it comes to leading and uncertainty, everyone has a source in which they use to bring clarity into their uncertainty. Everyone, if you're in this room this morning, if you're listening to us online, you have some type of source that you use to bring clarity in uncertainty. For some of us, it's our parents, right? We go to our parents. For some of us, it's a spouse, a friend. For some of us, it's a TV show, a podcast. For some of us, it's a book. For some of us, it's the Bible. When I was growing up, we had this device called the Magic 8-Ball. Y'all remember this? I just try to figure out where we're at age range. For all you young folks that don't know what a Magic 8-Ball is, it was this. It looked like the the 8-Ball playing pool, but it was like this big. And it had this little open side on the bottom of it, and you could ask it a question. So you would say, like, you know, Am I going to get married? And you could shake the eight ball like this, and the little answer diamond or triangle would move, and it would show you the the answer, right? Y'all remember this? And so we we were so stupid. You know what I mean? We're like, like, we have like life-altering decisions, and we're asking an $8 plastic toy. Like, you know, what should I do? And and it's funny because one of the answers, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if you remember this, one of the answers was, it is certain. That was one of the answers. How did we even end up who we are today? That we were making life-altering decisions with a plastic toy that was letting us know it was certain. Certain. Are we going to be able to pay the bills this month? It is certain. Hallelujah. I don't have a job, but it's going to work somehow. You know what I mean? What I thought was interesting, because I got this answer more than most, is there was an answer that said, please try again later. (laughs) Y'all remember that? Here was my problem with that. 
I've got a device that I'm looking to give me certainty in the middle of uncertainty, and it's uncertain. <laughs> That's a problem for me. <laughs> like, I need to know what's going to happen. You can't be coming back later. And I'd almost think that culture wants us to get into a realm where when we approach uncertainty, we approach it with the mindset of, well, just try again later. Yet Jesus has a pattern for us and how to be who we're supposed to be, how to parent our kids in uncertainty, how to have a healthy marriage in uncertainty, how to live a Christian life, how to stand on biblical standards in the middle of uncertainty. What do you do? When you need to be sure, but you aren't sure. Anybody asking God for something right now and you're just not sure his answer? You know what I mean? What, what do you do when you need to be sure, but you aren't sure? What do you do when you need to lead? How do you lead when what everyone wants is stability, but the only thing we have is wavering? What do you do? In John chapter 5, Jesus, he does many things, but there's three things specific that I want to give you today. If you're a note taker, please take notes on this. Three things that Jesus does that you and I need to bring awareness to. And listen to me. Not only are these great attributes to leading in the middle of uncertainty, but they're also great attributes to living in the middle of uncertainty. So whether you think you're a leader or not, this message is still for you because it's not just leading, it's about living. Let me show you the first thing that Jesus does. When Jesus arrives on the scene and he walks into the middle of uncertainty, the very first thing that you see Jesus do is reestablishes hope. It's the very first thing that Christ does. He reestablishes hope. He walks in because, watch this, any situation that is overwhelmed with uncertainty is also hopeless. Any situation where there is so much uncertainty, there is a danger of hopelessness. So the very first thing that Jesus does when he walks in, and I don't know if you caught this, but he looks for the person who's been there the longest. He doesn't go up to somebody who's been there for a couple of hours or a couple of weeks. He goes to a guy who's been there who has been in that condition for 38 years. Because in Jesus' mind, and it doesn't say this in Scripture, but here's my perception that he wanted to find the guy who had the least amount of hope because he came to, to reestablish hope. And reestablishing hope for someone who's been sick for 30 minutes and reestablishing hope for someone who's been sick for 38 years is two different things. Now, let's go to the scripture. Watch this. It's so cool. It said, here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes up to him who's lying there. He, le he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, and he asked him, what did he ask him? Do you want to get well? Now, many preachers will preach this scripture, and they'll hammer on what an obnoxious or a sarcastic question that was. An obvious question. To go to a guy who's been sick for 38 years, when we're sick for two days, we clearly want to be made well, Right? And he's been sick for 38 years, and how interesting that Jesus would ask him that. But when I read it, I don't think Jesus is being obnoxious. I don't think Jesus is being sarcastic. I don't think Jesus is trying to be funny. I don't think Jesus is trying to be a smart aleck. I think what Jesus is asking is this. Do you have any hope left? When he says, do you want to be made well, what I think he's trying to gauge is how much hope do you have 
left. You've been in this condition for 38 years. Are you still pretty positive? Or are you still, or, or have you moved into more of a, a negative thinking? If it was modern day, here's what it would say. Jesus would roll up on the guy and he would say, hey, how you doing? How, how are you doing? I had to ask a lot of people that in 2020. I would be on Zoom calls with our directors, and I'd be looking at them on the screen. You know, I couldn't tell. They're all muted because their kids are going crazy and all that. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And one time I had to tell them, I said, listen, you've got to tell me. Because if I ask you how you're doing and you tell me you're okay, I have to assume you're okay. So when I ask you, how are you doing? What I'm asking is, do you want to be made well? What I'm asking is, how much hope do you have? Are you full of hope? Are you good? Are you excited? Do you have vision? Or is your tank running low? Think about it like this. Uncertainty is what makes leadership necessary in the first place. Uncertainty is what makes leadership necessary in the first place. Let me prove it to you. Your kids, parents, your kids do not know you are alive until something is uncertain. Am I right? Your kids will be on their phone or watching TV. They don't even know you're alive until they're hungry. And now all of a sudden they don't know what's for dinner. They don't know where the food's coming from. There is now uncertainty and now you are the most important person in the house. Ma, 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 What? What are we having for dinner? What are we eating? Well, we're going to, you know, I'm going to make lasagna. Here's, and you feed them. Once you feed them, you don't see them again until they need you again, right? Because that's the way this, this, this leadership concept works. Often the people we're leading don't even know we exist until there's uncertainty. I'll give you another example. If you're a leader, you've been the person in the circle who has to decide where you're going to eat lunch at. You know what I'm talking about? Where are you going to eat dinner? And here's the famous question. Where are we going to eat? People, uh, listen, they won't even know you exist until we don't know where we're eating. For some reason, it all has to do with food. I don't know if that's me or what. Like, all of a sudden, I care about leadership and, you know, once food matters. But it's just this understanding that it's uncertainty that makes leadership necessary in the first place. Times of uncertainty are windows of opportunity. When there's a moment of uncertainty, it equals a window of, an op of opportunity. And the opportunity, watch this, is to either lose our hope or to reestablish our hope. When there's a moment of uncertainty, from now, however old you are, to the day you die, every moment of uncertainty is a window of opportunity for you to either lose hope or to reestablish your hope. I was reading a few books, a few leadership books, and one of them was by President George Bush, the, the, the son, junior, I guess. I don't know if he's a junior, but George W. Bush. And it was a real interesting comparison because they talked about a moment where his popularity as a president went really high and then a moment where his popularity declined. And here was the two stories it told. When 9-11 happened, as you know, last Sunday was... Uh, the anniversary of 9-11. When 9-11 happened, George W. Bush flew to the on-site of Ground Zero, 
and, and he got out of the plane, and he walked for hours, the, the actual place where the Twin Towers were. He went and he shook hands of, of firefighters and policemen. And according to this article I was reading, every time he spoke to somebody, he made a point to let them know, we're going to get them back. We're going to get them back. We're going we're to get whoever did this. We're going to pay. This is just what he was doing. And there were pictures of this. People had caught pictures of it. And so all over the news were pictures of him on the site of 9-11, shaking the hands of firefighters and hugging ladies. And, and all. They, they saw these pictures. And according to this article, in that moment, his popularity as president rose. Well, then Hurricane Katrina happened. And I'm not saying he didn't go to the grounds. I, I, don't, I don't honestly know. But in this article, the picture that ended up going public is he was in his airplane, and he was looking from the window of the airplane down on Hurricane Katrina. And they said that when that picture went, went, went uh, global or whatever you want to say, all of a sudden his popularity as president went down. Because in 9-11, what the pictures told you was he was out reestablishing hope. He was out saying, we're going to get through this. We're, we're going to overcome this. But what they saw in the picture of Hurricane Katrina was someone who was detached. And so in that process, hope was losing. Here's what I mean. Every moment of uncertainty, whether it's 9-11 or Hurricane Katrina, every moment of uncertainty is a window of opportunity. And how we deal with that moment it decides whether our hope is reestablished or whether we lose our hope altogether. So we can't get to a place where we are upset or angry or avoiding times of uncertainty. We must embrace them. Because if we do them right, if we do what Christ has taught us, if we let God into that moment of uncertainty, it's an opportunity to build our hope. I think you would agree that it's actually easier to lead through bad times than it is to lead through a time of uncertainty. Because in bad times, you know what to do, right? If something bad happens, the solution is we got to fix it. What do we got to do? We got to make this phone call. We got to go to the hospital. We got to pay this debt. Like, wh whatever it is, it's bad, but we can fix it. But in moments of uncertainty, it's like this time frame where you and I are just kind of left hanging. You know what I mean? It's, it's that moment of like, I don't really know what to do. Like, I could do this, or I could do that, but I'm just uncertain. I don't know what to do. And it's in that time, I was with a friend this week that kind of said, I wish I could remember the way he said it, but, it, but it's in that window of uncertainty that is God's opportunity. It's in that moment where God can move in our life. It's important for us to understand that. That the, one of the best opportunities, that one of the best windows that open up from a time of uncertainty is that that's the window that God can move in our life. Listen to me. Uncertainty is God's opportunity. We can't get mad at uncertainty. We have to give it over to God. Let me, let me give you an illustration or let me give you an example to, to help you understand this. If the man at the, at the colonnades who's looking at the pool of Bethesda if the man is certain that that pool will heal him, he doesn't pay attention to Jesus. Did you catch that? If he is 100% certain that at Tuesday at 3 o'clock, his healing, you know, healing comes by Amazon or whatever, you know, like, like if he could check it and be like, yes, this is certain, then when Jesus walks up, he doesn't even pay him attention. 
Because everything he needs is certain. Everything he needs is coming from that source. But because it's uncertain, because the thing he's looking at to bring him healing has not proven to be certain, he is open to Jesus. Listen, one of the best things about uncertainty in our life is it opens the window to Jesus. If we were honest, if we were honest with ourselves, that there are moments in our life that if it was certain, we wouldn't have turned to God. You know what I mean? Like if, if, you, if you knew you were going to be able to pay all your bills, there's times in your life where you wouldn't turn to God. If you knew how your kids were going to be raised up and, and live to be, you, you might not even turn to God. If you knew how your health was going to end, you might not even turn to God. But it's those moments in our life that are uncertain, that open the door for God to move in our life. I like the way that Bob Goff says it. He says, the way that we deal, this is an author by the name of Bob Goff, the way that we deal with uncertainty, watch this, says a lot about whether Jesus is ahead of us leading or just behind us carrying our stuff. When uncertainty strikes, how we respond will be evidence if Jesus is ahead of us leading or if he is behind us carrying our stuff. One of the most shocking moments for me in 2020 when I would talk to people is they would say this, I feel like I just don't have control. And I couldn't help but ask this question, when did you ever have control? But the way culture was, it lied to us and made us believe that we had some sense of control, yet you could die right now. You could die tomorrow. Like, we never had control, but 2020 put a magnifying glass on that, right? And it brought in uncertainty. But uncertainty is the moment for you and me where we get to really see. Uh, Christine was talking about self-reflection. This is a great time to self-reflect and say, is Jesus leading my life? Or is he just behind me carrying my stuff? Well, it matters when there's an uncertain moment. Because when there's uncertainty, do I put my hope in Jesus? Or is, in my, or is my hope broken because whatever my hope was in is no longer certain? When uncertainty strikes, God can move. Oh, I got a teenager. I don't know how I'm going to raise a teenager. God help me. We're, we're pregnant and we've, we've never had a child before. I don't know how we're going to raise a child. God help Help me. We're trying to get pregnant, and this is the sixth time and the seventh time, and it's not working. God, help me. I need a job. God, help me. I got a job, but I want a new job. God, help me. I got a job, but I'm not sure I qualify for the job that I have. God, help me. You see what I mean? When uncertainty hits, it moves us into an opportunity for God to direct our life. Let's put it like this. In moments of uncertainty, we can lean into Christ's certainty. That's how we reestablish hope. That when everything around you is uncertain, there is still one thing that is proven true. Christ, the gospel. Right? The Bible. We can still lean into those things. I don't know how, but I know who. I don't know when. 
but I know that he will. I may not be certain, but I am confident that he will complete work that he started. That's how we reestablish hope in moments of uncertainty. Now, hold on. I'm not going to leave you there. Because just because you know you need to reestablish hope, how do you do that, right? And this is what's so cool about the way Jesus did this, is he reestablished hope. Do you want to get made well? Do you still believe? If so, then he does something else. Here's the second thing. First, you reestablish hope. Second, you have to readjust your focus. In order for your hope to be reestablished, you have to readjust your focus. Watch this. Go back to John chapter 5 for a minute. He asked the man, do you want to be well? The man says, sir, yes, I do. But, watch this, here's the problem. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Do I want to be made well? Yes. But I don't have anyone to help me. And then he goes on to say, and then uh, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man is looking at this pool. Jesus is like, do you want to get made well? He said, yes, but here's the problem. And Jesus readjusts his focus. He says, don't look at the pool. Look at me. Stop looking at the pool. Look at me. Pick up your mat. Get and walk. Walk to the pool? No, just walk. Stop looking at the pool. Look at Jesus. One of the greatest upsides of uncertainty is a radical shift of perspective. One of the best things about uncertain moments in your life is a radical shift in perspective. If you go through something terrible and uncertain, watch this, the people that really love you will all of a sudden show up and be there and there's a radical shift in perspective. 2020, by far for most of us, the most uncertain time of our life. And it readjusted focus. I heard so many people say, I spent more time with my family than I've ever spent. I heard people quit jobs and do different things because now all of a sudden they were reminded that their family is what mattered. A readjust of focus. I heard people get new jobs. I, I heard so many, you know, let's just be honest. Not only was focus shifted in our, we all of a sudden appreciated teachers a whole lot more. Right? There's a shift of focus. We all of a sudden appreciated toilet paper so much more. Right? Because when there's uncertainty, there's a shift in perspective. What you took for granted, now all of a sudden you value. What you were looking at then, you now look at differently. I was reading a book that was talking about the CEO of Microsoft. And the CEO said that leaders moving forward need to shift, watch this, out of a know-it-all mindset into a learn-it-all mindset. They were saying as we move forward, especially with uncertain times, what needs to happen is leaders need to move out of a know-it-all. And this is, this, is, this is a word for us. This is a word for you, individual, who loves to control everything. You need to move out of the I need to know it all, and you need to move into the I want to learn it all. And here's why. I love this. For this shift in mindset helps ease the discomfort of uncertainty by taking the pressure off of you to have all of the answers. 
when we readjust our focus and put it on to Jesus Christ, what we are reminded by the gospel of Jesus is that we don't have to know all the answers. That it's not on us. It's not on our performance. It's not on the, do we pass the test. And the gospel is literally screaming to us, you don't have to know the answers. That's not leadership. Leadership is taking your focus off of you and putting it on Jesus. That's leadership. When you guys read John chapter 5, read it in your paper Bibles. You'll probably be able to see this on your phones as well. But this story I told you about how the understanding in that day, the belief in that day by many was that at certain times an angel would come to this pool and stir this pool and these individuals could get in and be healed, the first person. What you're going to find in your Bible is a bunch of side notes and asterisks and some of them this, this, this actual content won't even be in there. And the reason for that is because this was kind of a belief, but it wasn't certain. So theologians say John believed it, believed it was a thing, and which is why he put it in the way he did. But it was put in the Bible the way it is. It's not put in the Bible like other things that are certain. It's put with a little side note that lets you know this may or may not be true. Like this is what the people at the colonnades believe to be true, but it may or may not be true. So it's uncertain. And I'm reading this and I'm looking at this and all of a sudden it hit me. You ready? Watch this. They were looking for certainty in something that was uncertain. Is that not what we do today? They were looking for certainty in something that was uncertain. I don't do that. When things get uncertain, we turn to the news, right? We, we turn to family members. We turn to articles and friends and Facebook and Instagram. We're looking for certainty, but we keep turning to things that are uncertain. Here they are, all of these lame, blind, paralyzed people, and they're all looking at the pool. And in their presence is Jesus. Could you imagine the Son of God, the healer, being right beside you, but you're looking at something else? The one who embodies certainty, the one who is a walking promise, and your focus is on something that may or may not be true. Like, oh, Jesus, be quiet. I'm just in case. <laughs> I'm watching this pool just in case. And Jesus is like, but do you, do you want to be made well? Because I'm right here with certainty. But you can't take your eyes off of the things that you know are uncertain. And our culture has been taught today to pour your energy and your trust into things that may or may not be. That depending on what, what side you're on when you get the information, it's a different understanding. And yet we're trying to build our processes and our, our family and our attitudes and our faith and our hope on that. For us to find relief in the midst of uncertainty, we have to change who or what we rely on. The, the overcoming of uncertainty is dependent on what you're looking at. You know, when we got ready to 
Some of y'all have heard this story, but I know that some haven't, so it's always fun to share. But when we got ready to plant Victory Church, we're in Memphis, Tennessee. We're getting ready to move here. We've got a team of people with us. And we had done the math on our own to try to figure out how much money we needed. And we arrived at an amount of $175,000. That was going to do a lot. It was going to get all of the equipment. You know, we, we, were, we were launching big. We wanted it to look like we were in a school, and we wanted it to look really good. We wanted you to walk in and not know it was a school. So, so we had all these big dreams, and we were like, this is going to happen. We were raising money for this. We had kids' ministry and production ministry. We are going to have the best speakers and the best lights and all this kind of stuff. And, and we came up with this amount. It was $175,000, and we were going to launch the church in September of 2018. And I remember it was November-ish or so, and we started talking. We had, we had gathered about 50 people or so that were going to be a part of Victory Church. And I started getting anxious, and I was like, man, these people can't go all the way till September without a church. And so we kind of decided that we would move it up and just start the church in January. So instead of September, on the ninth month, we would move it up to the first month. The problem with that is we were $65,000 away from our budget. So we had raised $110,000, and that was great because we were just, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't know what we're doing. And, and now we were $65,000 away, but we went from having nine more months to raise money to having only a couple. And I've told this story before, and if you know the story, there's a relationship we have. Uh, our parent church in Clarksville, Life Point Church, where our board is, they ended up bringing us in, and they surprised us by writing us a check for $65,000. We didn't have to go into debt as a church. We're still you no know, debt as a church, and it was, just, it was just amazing process. And I'll tell people that story. A lot of times I'll meet with new pastors or whatever, and I'll tell them that story, and they'll be like, man, how, your faith was so strong. And, and you know, they'll start trying to, like, praise me for it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. First of all, I don't know that I would call it faith. I think I would call it stupidity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I, I, had you pulled me aside and said, how's God going to do this? I wouldn't have said, brother, you just need to believe. I'll prove it to you. When I told Pastor Mike in Clarksville our situation, here's what he said to me. You just need to pray. And your pastor looked at him and said, brother, you are right. So we will get thy word, and we will stand on thy word of the Lord together. Here's what I said to him. I turned around and went, you just need to pray. Because <laughs> my faith wasn't really strong in that moment. Like, like, like looking back, I can't, I can't point it out to you and tell you that I had some kind of bold faith. I didn't know how God was going to do it. But can I tell you what I think was going on? Look, I was in the middle of uncertainty, but I knew he made a promise. You know what I mean? Like, our level of hope is a result of what we're looking at. And uncertainty comes because we're looking at the problem. But certainty comes because we're looking at the promise. What has God? I did a whole series. You need to go back and listen to it on the promises of God. And we started letting you know from the beginning that there are a lot of promises that God made you. One of them is that Christ is going to finish the good work that he started in you. If we would have stood on that promise alone in the year of 2020, we would have had more faith in the middle of uncertainty. Because we would have known that Christ is going to finish the work he started. So what I'm telling you is that in order for you to reestablish your hope, you got to readjust your focus. And what we have to take our focus off of is the problem. Whatever the problem is. Because it's the problem 
that is just reiterating the uncertainty in your spirit. But if you will look at the promise of God, that will encourage your faith. And you start to see uncertainty as an opportunity for God to do something great in your life. So whether you're leading in uncertainty or whether you're just living in uncertainty, the first thing you need to do is you need to reestablish your hope. You need to reestablish it on Jesus, the certainty of Jesus. The second thing you need to do is you need to readjust your focus. Stop looking at the problem and start looking at God. If nothing else, he may reshape the problem all to begin with and show you that there's a purpose in it. But there's one more thing, and I'm going to give you the, the word to write down, but i got to explain it to you because it won't make sense at first. The third thing you to do is you got to have a revelation of truth. you got to reestablish your hope. you got to readjust your focus. you got to have a revelation of truth. Now, John chapter 5, lean into me for a moment with this. In John chapter 5, there are porches full of blind, lame, paralyzed people. And Jesus says, Son of God, the walking word, walks into a situation. We don't have a number. Let's just say it was hundreds. It's five colonnades, and theologians say they would have been laid on top of each other. And Jesus walks in up to this guy who's 38 years old, and he says, do you want to be made well? The man says yes, and Jesus heals him on the spot. And then Jesus leaves. Every time I've always read that, I've thought, how come Jesus didn't heal everybody? Right? Like, I understand that he's been there for 38 years, but somebody's been there for six months. Somebody's been there for 26 years. Like, like you know, we, at some point, we're not like, judging whose issues are worse like you're the healer so so why wouldn't jesus just be like you're healed you're healed you're healed you're healed you're healed you're healed and just go why wouldn't john chapter 5 go and then jesus healed every person that chose to be at the colonnades that day and then he got a post-it note and he wrote if you're ever here in the future say these prayers like the code on mortal Kombat, like up up down a b b c and then all of a sudden you'll be healed like how come his goal what what was why just heal one guy and then leave i've done a lot of studying on this because that used to bother me but when you read the book of john john talks about the signs of christ and how these things, seven signs that Jesus did to prove, or, or not prove, but to, to affirm and confirm that he was the Son of God. And this was one of them. So watch this. Jesus did what he did because he didn't come to be a healer. He came to be a Savior. Healing was just part of it. But if he heals everybody on the colonnades the number one Jesus is known as Jesus the healer instead of Jesus the son of God but watch this if all he does is heal those people then anybody who wasn't at the colonnades they don't have hope so when Jesus heals this man it was a sign to tell everybody in the colonnades that I am who I say I am I am the Son of God. I am your Savior. I am the Lamb that will be slain for your sins. Here's what he was letting them know. I got something better than physical healing. 
I'm reestablishing hope. Not that I can heal your body, because I can heal you now, then you can walk outside and roll an ankle. I'm not reestablishing hope that if you just say the right prayer, your body will be healed. I'm establishing hope that your Savior has come. So whether you have sickness on earth or whether you're healed on earth, it's irrelevant because eternity awaits you. I am the Son of God. The reason he didn't heal everybody, the reason he used it as a sign, ugh, was to let everybody who was laying on the porch know here's something you can hold on to. Another leadership book I was reading. It talked about Melanie, come here real quick. Can I, can I bother you? I know you're taking notes, and I hate to use somebody who's taking notes, but you're just so faithful. Hold that for a second. Hold it really tight. I'll be back. I read this story in this book about these farmers in the Midwest. True story. And in this particular area of the Midwest, the, the blizzards get so bad, they say you cannot see the hands in front of your face. It's so bad that it's recorded that in this area, people have actually died by getting lost in their backyard. Because the blizzard becomes so bad that what they would do is they would just wander in circles. And they would eventually freeze to death. Think about this. They, they are so uncertain of where they are. They can't see anything in front of their face. So they are just wandering in circles until they would eventually die. So what the farmers did, they got a great idea, is they took a rope and they tied it to the front door of their house. And they would leave the rope all the way, wherever it was, some to the end of their drive, whatever the situation was. So watch this. So when the blizzard would hit, they could get to the rope. And even though it was a long distance to their house, all they had to do was, like, follow the rope, right? So they can't see. So they don't know. My house could be over here. My house could be over there. But what they know is that this rope is anchored to their front door. So despite what they can or cannot see, it's the rope that they hold on to. And they just pull and pull and pull. And eventually, as long as they stay faithful to the rope, they will eventually get to a place of safety. What Jesus is teaching us in John chapter 5, listen to me, 2020 is not the last time in your life that you're going to be uncertain. Some of you are uncertain right now. Some of you will be uncertain next week. Some of you, you're going to be uncertain. I was talking to some friends and they were like, yeah, we got a recession coming next year. Guess what? We're going to be uncertain next year. Uncertainty never goes away. What Jesus was teaching us in John chapter 5 is where to tie your rope. Where to have this confidence that no matter what I'm going through, it's the word of God. No matter what I'm going through, it's the gospel. It's the grace of Jesus. That even when I can't see anything in front of my face, when everybody's wandering around in circles and they're asking everybody, do we go left? Do we go right? Do we buy toilet paper? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? What do we, we don't know what to do. We're uncertain. Now what the gospel says is you need a rope. And the rope is Jesus. It's the gospel. It's his grace. It's the word of God in your life that establishes hope, that readjusts your focus. One of the best things about reading scripture is it moves your focus. Before you start reading the Bible, you're thinking about yourself. You start reading the Bible, now you're thinking about God. 
no matter how long the journey, no matter how bad you can't see. To that family that's trying to figure out how to raise a teenager, read your books. That's cool. Read the parenting books. But are you holding on to the word? Word says that if you train your child up in the way that they shall go, they will not depart from it. It's the rope. Hang on to the rope. To, to all my friends that are pregnant and you're about to have kids and you don't really know what to do, hang on to the rope. To all my friends that want babies, but God hasn't blessed you yet, hang on to the rope. To every young person that's in school, talking to some beautiful young girls in school a couple weeks ago talking about the, the hardship in school. Hang on to the rope. Those of you who your marriage is rocky, and you're, hang on to the rope. Those of you that are seasoned Christians and you're losing your hope, where's your rope? Those of you in here that you've never given your heart to Jesus today is to grab the rope. I'm telling you, going to be so many seasons in your life where you're not going to be able to see the hand in front of your face. And God says that my word is like a light unto your path. Here's my modern day version. My word is like an anchored rope for you to hold on to. And when you don't know, just keep on People start trying to tell you, hey, I don't know. You need to look this way or look that way. You say, no, I know something that's proven. I know something that's tied. I know something that's anchored to God. Amen? Thank you, ma'am. Stay up here. Worship team, go ahead and come up. cool that Jesus is so profound that he would purposely heal one amongst many so that you could have hope in him today what good does it do you for him to heal a guy by a pool of Bethesda you been to any pools called Bethesda lately doesn't do you any good what does do you good is for him to show evidence that he is the son of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Kyle, Christine, I'm going to ask you guys, you just come down front for a minute for some time of prayer. I want to talk to two people real quick. Number one is the believer who is a leader right now as we speak. You're a leader in your family. You're a leader at your job. You're a leader in your schools. And it's been uncertain for you. And through all of the chaos, you've lost track of the rope. And what an opportunity this morning to kind of re-grab the rope. I thought about, instead of it being revelation of truth, I thought about calling it re-grip the rope. It wasn't biblical enough. But what an opportunity this morning, right, to kind of re-grip the rope to pray and say, God, I know I've gotten off. I've been a little bit overwhelmed by all the things, but I want to get back in line 
with your will for my life. Second, I want to talk to the person that's never accepted Christ as their Savior. The reason we do this is so that you would have an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And in a world without Jesus, we're just wandering around in a blizzard where we can't see the hands in front of our face. And for you to learn about Jesus, it's me telling you that he is your rope. And you can grab on that rope this morning. And so in a minute, I'm going to pray. Christine's to my left, Kyle's to my right. I want to invite you, if you need prayer for any one of those reasons, if you've never given your heart to Jesus and you would like to, we'd like to pray with you and help you. If you're in here and you say, you know, I've just had a hard time and I just need a brother or a sister to pray with me and agree with me as I kind of re-grip the rope in my life, we want to do that as well. By all means, spend some time worshiping. But if you would like prayer, we'd like to offer that time for you. And I challenge you, challenge you, that do everything you can to let Jesus be the one that's leading you in a time of uncertainty. Father, I thank you right now for your word, that it's alive and it's moving, that it's real. You're omnipresent. Right now, you can speak to somebody on the left side of the room differently than you're speaking to somebody on the right side of the room. I pray for the person that's never accepted you as their Savior that today would be that day. I pray for the person who believes in you but has had a difficult time, that they'd find comfort, that you would be reestablishing their hope today, readjusting their focus. For every parent, we'd re-grab the rope. For every married couple, we'd re-grab the rope. For every believer, we'd re-grab that rope and allow your word to be the foundation in our life. Father, move in this place like you. I love to say this. I can preach your word, but I can't change a life. So, Father, right now, do what only your Holy Spirit can do and start to move on hearts and impact lives. Have your way in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.